Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Well, it is indeed a pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you, John. Uh, John and I actually served together and at Calvary Community Church there in Southern California for a couple years uh, before he came here to be your executive pastor. So um, thanks, John. Appreciate it. Uh, true story, uh, when John left our staff, as everybody does, you go into his office and divvy up what you want, right? So uh, I went into John's office, and this is a true story. I have your desk, okay? Moved it into my office, right? So I have John's desk, and the only really thing of value that he left in the desk, true story, I forgot to bring him, was a pair of Oakley sunglasses. So I still wear them. I do. It's no joke. I wear them. They're really nice. But uh, yeah, so I'll give them to you someday. But it's great to be with you indeed. My wife, Stephanie, is with me here somewhere. I don't know where she is. She was floating around. But I trust that we'll have a chance just to say hello to you uh, as we are here. I will say it is much cooler than we are typically used to. So uh, you'll forgive me. My hands are still freezing, man. So I'll keep my hands in my pockets to try to warm them up. But uh, just a great time to be with you. It's wonderful to see many of your faces and trust that I have a chance to chat with as many of you as we can. So thanks for having us. Uh, It's so great to be back in West Virginia. I went to the WVU game yesterday. Um, I'm not a good luck charm, apparently. So uh, that was a tough one, but it was wonderful to be there and be with some friends. Well, public service announcement for you. Uh, You've already heard, uh, but just so you know, this week is Thanksgiving. Okay, Thanksgiving is coming this Thursday, by the way, and apparently happens every Thursday at about this time in November. And believe it or not, it's here. Hopefully you're ready for it. Uh, Thanksgiving is one of those holidays that, that is just, we think about family. Of course, we think about food, but we also think about being thankful. It was 1863, there was a woman named Sarah Hale who wrote article after article for many years uh, about having a Thanksgiving holiday. In the year 1863, Abraham Lincoln, the president at the time, decreed Thanksgiving to be a holiday amidst some of the worst days of the Civil War. So it's very interesting. You had those terrible things, and then you had this time of Thanksgiving that was established in 1863. It's been a long time. We all think of food when it comes to Thanksgiving. So I did a little research this week, and I found some very interesting things. Uh, Number one, the TV dinner came out of the fact that Swanson bought too many turkeys in the 1950s, and they cooked them, sliced them up, and froze them, and that was the first TV dinner. That's a true story. Uh, So that's an interesting little fact. We also think about the fact that on Thanksgiving, we eat a lot of food. The average American on Thanksgiving consumes 4,500 calories. Think about that. That is the equivalent of 14 pieces of pumpkin pie. So skip the turkey and just eat like an entire pie and you're right there, okay? The most interesting fact I found about Thanksgiving is the fact that it takes about seven hours on average to prepare the Thanksgiving meal. Guess how long it takes for the average American to eat it? 16 minutes. Think about that. I mean, we're just sucking that food in, man. We're inhaling it. Thanksgiving is a wonderful holiday And it is a time, it's my favorite holiday because it's a time where we get to be with family. um, And there's no distractions with all of the gifts and things like that that come with other holidays. But it's a wonderful time. 
And it's an opportunity for us to express our gratitude once a year in a special way for what God has done in our lives. And sometimes we think of this idea of thanksgiving, and it's just this idea of being grateful and, and maybe even praying and thanking God for what he's done in our lives. But I'd like to talk this morning more about the fact that thanksgiving is really a lifestyle that we, those of us that are followers of Jesus, should live. In fact, we're going to talk this morning about thanksgiving living. And when I think of thanksgiving, my mind goes to the book of Psalms. And we're going to look at one of the Psalms of Ascent this morning. Those are the Psalms that the Jews, many years ago, when they would come to Jerusalem for festivals, they would sing these Psalms of Ascent. There are 15 of them in the scripture. It's Psalm 120, I think it's 120 through 134. Ten of them, we don't know who wrote them. One of them was written by Solomon, and four were written by David. And we're going to look at one of those this morning together. But they would sing these psalms as they would come to Jerusalem for festivals. It was called Psalms of Ascent because you come up to the city of Jerusalem because it's a higher elevation than the areas around it. And Psalm 131 would have been right about in the middle, middle to the end, of when they would sing all of these as this big, giant medley of thanksgiving and confession to God. So I want to look at Psalm 131 together this morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can look there, or you can just look at the screens. But I'm going to read that, and then we're just going to talk about it for a few moments together this morning. Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. What I'd like to talk about this morning is that thanksgiving is an attitude of the heart which dramatically impacts how we live our lives. Just two things that I'd like to talk about this morning. Number one is humility, humility. David starts out and he says, my heart is not proud. And that is the, the, the idea there and the words there that he uses really are talking about arrogance, kind of the, the, the overtly proud actions that someone you would consider to be arrogant. Put all of those in your head and that's what David's talking about. He says, my heart is not proud. I am not puffed up. I am not arrogant. And he says, my eyes are not haughty. What's interesting here is this is really an idea of my eyes aren't haughty. And matter of fact, it, it, it has this idea that you keep your eyes down and your head down. And what David, I think, is saying here is I'm keeping my head down and I'm doing what is expected of me as I follow you, God. So he's saying I'm not proud. I'm not haughty. I don't have this overt pride. Matter of fact, I would say what he's saying here is that he is purged of selfish ambition. As we think about our lives, we think about the, you know, trying to succeed. We think about what are we going to do? What are we going to achieve? Especially as Americans in Western culture, we have this pull ourselves up by the bootstraps attitude, right? But when we think about being a follower of Jesus Christ, those of us that have placed our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's who I'm talking about this morning. And if that's not you, by the way, certainly I'm going to be hanging out, out in the lobby. Please talk to me. 
We can talk to you. There's pastors here. There's other people you may know and trust here. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, today can be your day to become that follower of Jesus, the God-man who died in your place. Take care of that today. Talk to me. Talk to one of these pastors, John, others that are here, and take care of that. But for those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, the idea here is purging ourselves of selfish ambition. If we want to be thankful, if we want to have humility, we have to purge ourselves of that selfishness. Get it out of our minds and understand who we are in light of the God of the universe. Who we are in light of the one who created everything we know We've got to purge that selfish ambition out of our minds and out of our lives. David also says some interesting things here in the last part of verse 1. He says, I am not concerned about things that are too high for me or with great matters. Not concerned. This is actually a word that is the idea of exercised. What do we get exercised about? What do we get fired up about? Yesterday, there was a bad call. Um, maybe more than one, but there was a bad call at the WVU game. And I was, I was able to be in a, in a warm box, which was great. And for about 10 minutes, I went and visited with Matt and Stacy Walker in their seats, which were really cold. So I went back up to the warm spot where I was before. But while I was down there, I walked into the area where they were sitting. There was a bad call. And there was a guy, he was quite exercised over this bad call. And man, he was fired up. And he, he kept going and kept going. And, and finally, somebody kind of gave him a fist bump. He was looking for some affirmation. So somebody gave him a fist bump, and that kind of calmed him down. But man, we get exercised about stuff, don't we? We get so concerned about things in life. And David says, I'm not concerned about matters that are too great for me. I'm not worried about things that, that really are not my responsibility. That's what David is saying. And he says, the interesting thing is great matters. Great matters. Again, stuff that's beyond you and me. That's above our pay grade. David says, I'm not concerned about it. That's part of humility. It's part of humility. And then he talks about things that are too wonderful for me. What he's saying is things that are beyond my ability. How many times do we get exercised? Do we get fired up about stuff that we simply cannot control. If we want to have this idea of thanksgiving as a lifestyle, and we want to bring on humility, which is commanded of us in many places in Scripture, we got to understand who we are. And we can't get concerned with things that are so beyond us that are truly, completely out of our control. You can think in there in Philippians chapter 4. In fact, it says there where he... Paul says to think about things, right? Think about these things. The first thing he says that we should think about as followers of Jesus Christ is whatever is true. Whatever is true. How often do we get exercised about things that we don't even know if they're true? We get exercised about all the the conspiracy theories and things. We just came through this whole thing with the global pandemic of COVID. And man, You talk about conspiracy theories flying around with that whole thing, right? 
I'm not here to tell you one way or another, okay? You can have your opinion on that. I'm not gonna get into that. But man, we were speculating and, oh, I read this thing on Yahoo that said, blah, 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 you know? And we just got fired up over things that probably weren't even true. In your life, in my life, how often do we get exercised over things that we don't even know if they're true? What David, I think, is saying here in this latter part of verse one is he's talking about being purged of needless anxiety. Purged of needless anxiety. You know, Jesus said this life has enough trouble, right? Plenty of trouble in this life. How often do we get anxious about needless things in our life? Needless anxiety. I don't know if you're into protons. I have a picture of a proton here, but... Uh, that is a proton. And I actually got this, off of, uh, this graphic off of a website that's uh, about, it, literally I searched protons for kids and this is what came up. So this is understandable for me, all right? A proton is a subatomic particle that exists in all atoms, right? If we don't have protons, we got a problem. This whole, everything we know just flies apart, right? I don't know about you, but I didn't get up this morning going, I hope somebody's on that proton thing today. Man, if, if somebody better be taking care of the protons. I'm gonna go and make sure that the protons are taken care of so that everything stays together. No, we don't do that. But guess what? That's happening. Those protons, and there's some neutrons and electrons, all that kind of stuff that are in atoms, and they're moving around, and they have the proper atomic weight, and God is taking care of it. I believe when the New Testament says that things are held together by the word of his power, he's got it right here. And he's actually, actively taking care of protons in this moment. When we get exercised about things that are above our pay grade, above our understanding, above our ability. It's as if we're getting exercised about protons. God wants us to be humble. And he wants that to be our attitude in our heart and our life. And humility is more than just the absence of pride. Humility is us understanding that we are a creation of God that we are under his control, we are under the umbrella of his love. Does life have trouble? Yeah. Are there things that worry us? Of course. But what we're talking about here is humility, where we're purged of that selfish ambition, that, you know, get all you can, can it, sit on the lid, that old statement. We get rid of that. We purge ourselves of this needless anxiety. That's when we find humility and that is the attitude of the heart that God wants us to have. Well, we think about what David is saying here in this psalm, and he continues, <clears throat> excuse me, and we continue on here, and he talks about, in verse two, I have calmed and quieted myself. That word calmed, we think of calmed as just being, okay, it's the opposite of that dude at the West Virginia game with that bad call, right? That's kind of our, our mindset. Calm means it's the absence of being exercised. Really what this word is saying here, as a matter of fact, this word has to do with behavior. Behavior. I would say this word when David says, okay, I'm gonna get 
the attitude of my heart, I'm gonna get this humility. And then he says, I have calmed. What I would say David is saying here is I have re-behaved. I've re-behaved. Because when we have an attitude of, in our heart of humility, it's going to change the way we live. It's gonna change the way we behave. It is gonna change the way that we interact with people. Paul says in Philippians chapter four, by the way, there's an interesting parallel with Psalm 131 in Philippians chapter four. Paul says in Philippians chapter four, verse nine, whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put into practice, and then the God of peace will be with you. What David is saying here is he's saying, I've purged myself of those things we just talked about. And when we talk about contentment, he's saying we are filled with godly peace. But did you catch how peace comes from Philippians 4.9? It's not about a feeling, right? We want to feel right. What Paul is saying in Philippians 4.9 is we have to do right before peace will come. One of the things that happens in our culture is we want to feel good, right? We want to feel right. We want to feel okay. And we want to get that feeling when really peace comes from God when we do right. You want to feel right? Do right. So he's saying here, I am going to be filled with godly peace. He says, I have calmed, I've rebehaved, and I've quieted myself. Um, I'm a I'm a talker, and I, I, I'm, my wife and I, it's, it's unusual that you know, the, the men in the relationship typically don't talk as much as the wives, and that's not a stereotype, okay? There's science behind that, okay? So don't come up to me and tell me anything. I'm not saying that anything other than typically women talk more than men. All right, very good. Hopefully that's okay. In our relationship, it's the opposite. I talk a lot more than she does. And every now and then, my wife will just do this. Shh. And, and I get it. It's, you're talking too much. She's very helpful in that way. Sometimes there are days where there's more shh than others. But what's happening here is David's saying, okay, I'm rebehaving. I'm humbling myself. I'm purging myself of those things we talked about. And I'm going to have godly peace. I've calmed and quieted. The word literally means to be made nonverbal. Do you remember in Job, in fact, Job 48, I think that's right, I better look. Job 43, I was close, 40, verse three through five, where God is on this discourse with Job and he says, Job, where were you when I hung the stars? Where were you when I created this? Where were you when I did that? And Job's response in Job chapter 40, verse three says, after this discourse from God to him, he says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. That's the ultimate example of quieting, right? I'm not going to say anything, God. I'm just, that's it. What David is saying here is this idea of peace is we have to do right. We have to rebehave, and then we have to listen. When you're doing this, hand over the mouth, 
we're listening. And we need to listen for God to speak to us. It's not an audible voice. He's not going to talk to us directly like he did Job. But he's going to speak to us through his word, through circumstances, through other people. And we need to quiet ourselves so that we can listen. Because peace, being filled with godly peace, comes from God. And if we are so busy about our lives and so busy with our talking, with our planning, with all of those things, and we want contentment, we've got to listen for God. So we rebehave, we do right, and we listen for what God wants us to do in our life. Well, he goes on. He says, okay, I've calmed, I've adjusted, I have rebehaved. And now he says, like a weaned child with its mother. Um, I like babies, and, and I, especially early infants, the very young infants. I like them, I like holding on to them. And uh, it's interesting though, sometimes you get a baby and that, that baby is just freaking out, right? Freaking out. You know, and I've got two kids and they seem to be okay. Now, they're in their 20s, and so they seem to be okay. Now, they're doing very well. But I remember when our kids were little, um, you know, you get them in that moment, they're kind of freaking out. So you do all the tricks you want to do, right? Okay, maybe they need a burp. You know, you do the burp, right? All right, that didn't work. I'm going to, you know, do this, you know, and you shimmy around. You shake. You do everything you know how to do. And then mom comes, and you hand the baby to mom. And all of a sudden, it's cool, Right? The baby quiets down. And you think of the picture here that David is saying. Even though this child is not dependent on his mother for the very substance of life, that milk, that weaned child gets with mom, and that's where they want to be. And what David is saying here is, man, where I want to be with you, God, when I am with you, when I'm humble, when I'm doing right, I'm like a weaned child. And he says it again, like a weaned child, I am content. It's interesting, I read something this week and, and there was a commentator named Alan Ross that wrote something about that statement there. The weaned child statement, Psalm 131. He says, what David's talking about is being content without that which used to be indispensable. When we come to Christ, all of the things that we thought, man, I can't live without this, whether it's our own plans, our own smarts, our own provision for our families, whatever it may be, when we come to Christ, that which we thought, I can't live without that, when we are walking in the Spirit and we are walking with God, all of that is no longer indispensable and we are content. We are content. And that word content, unfortunately in English, that's, that's not a real strong word, right? It's not an action word. Americans don't dig the word content. But when you really understand what content means, what David is saying is that we are whole. Actually, this is the word that the Hebrew writers would have used for a piece of fruit that is ripe and ready to be eaten. And when you think about fruit, 
and you think about a piece of fruit that's ripe, at that point, that is when fruit is useful, right? It's useful to us. We live in Southern California, and we have an avocado tree. Um, and, uh, you know, for us living on the East Coast most of our lives, we've got an avocado tree in our yard. Wow, this is cool, right? And avocado is cool, right? Avocado toast, you know, it's a cool, I don't even know what it is, a fruit, vegetable, I have no idea. Maybe it's a gourd. I have no idea what an avocado is. But we live in an area, by the way, that it's one of the few places in the world you can actually grow avocados. The other place is Israel. Israel grows a lot of avocados. And so we have this avocado tree. Now, unfortunately, we also have squirrels and raccoons. And I don't know if you know this, but they dig avocados. And what really frosts me about those turkeys is they eat through the avocado, the stuff that we like, and just like spit it out. And then they eat the seed, the pit. That just drives me crazy, man. And they eat a lot of our avocados. So I have a declared war with squirrels and raccoons to keep them away from our avocados. Because the avocado, when it's ripe, and it takes a while, by the way, and they're sitting on the tree right now, and we're not there, so I'm a little concerned that I'm going to have all my avocados gone when I get back. But nonetheless, the avocado, when it's ripe, takes a while. But when it's there, that's when you want it, right? It's useful. It's useful to make guacamole. It's useful to take that pit, put it in some water, and grow another avocado tree. And we think about contentment in our lives. When we're filled with godly peace, we think about contentment now. We think about being filled with purposeful confidence. Not confidence in ourselves, but confidence in what God can do in our lives through us, right? We're purposeful. Content means we're ready to be used. We think about Thanksgiving, this idea, and I said it's really a lifestyle. Thanksgiving living is the, the title of the message this morning. It's really this idea of purposeful confidence that we're whole, we're ready. Now, <clears throat> I have a confession to make to you this morning. It's not that hard. You know, I've been in California now, so I'm more sensitive than I used to be. I think more people would doubt that, but so I'm just gonna play that. Um, I really dig Hallmark movies, okay? It's a true story. Now, let me tell you why, okay? And by the way, I have all three Hallmark channels, plus I pay for a service where I get Hallmark movies. So I'm in, big time. Here's why I like Hallmark movies. They are quite cheesy, I admit, but they're always the same, right? There's no surprises in a Hallmark movie. And my wife, it drives her crazy when I'm watching them. And the other thing is cool is you don't really have to pay attention. So you can just kind of leave it on, you know? And it doesn't matter, and they're clean. Nobody walks in and, and there's nothing crazy that makes you uncomfortable. So I watch them and I'll tell my wife at the beginning, hey, those two kids are gonna get together. I think they're gonna make it. And then you have the little crisis point, which is always a misunderstanding, right? Oh, you didn't understand. I really wanted to stay, but I needed to move. They're always the same. It's predictable. And everything's just okay. And we do live in the LA area, and we we're fairly close to Hollywood, so we do have some, um, from time to time, some actors and things that will come to our church. We have a lot of the Rams that attend our church. Their practice facilities a few miles away. 
Um, but um, I'm the only one. We have two Hallmark movie actors that come to our church, a lady and a guy. I'm the only one that ever recognizes them. <laughs> so the first time that one of these guys, one of the male actors came in, I'm like, hey, I, I shook his hand. I'm like, man, I know who you are. I love those movies. And I even knew the latest one he was just in. He kind of did this. <laughs> he said, thanks. And he said, I don't get that a lot from guys. Okay, sorry, man. And now we're buddies. He's a good guy. He really is. He's a great guy. But the thing I like about Hallmark movies is they're extremely predictable. And everything's just okay. And we know the outcome is going to be okay. In fact, better than okay, right? Happily ever after. And that's cheesy, and we know it's fake and all that. But when we think about the fact, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we have the ability to humble ourselves. We have the ability to be contented. Why? Because we see it in verse 3. What does he say in verse 3 to Israel? Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Now and forevermore. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we have hope, not with a question mark after it, right? Boy, I hope it's going to happen. We have hope not only with a period, but an exclamation point. Hope. We have the only true hope. What better place to put our hope, to put our faith, to put our trust? That is why we can indeed have a Thanksgiving lifestyle, Thanksgiving living. The humility, the contentment comes because we have the only real source of hope. We have the only hope with that exclamation point, and it is the only one that thanks or thanksgiving should go toward. We have a bunch of people that live in this country. Not a lot of countries celebrate Thanksgiving. Canada, they already did it in October, eh? Um, Australia does it later. We're, we do it, you know, this week. Many people in our culture have no idea to whom the thanks is being given. It is to the hope, the God of the universe, the one who made a way for you and me to know him. Okay, well, so what? So what? Okay, this is all good, sounds nice, it's a great psalm. Well, I think Thanksgiving living makes us want to serve more, makes us want to give more. It makes us want to live our life almost as if we are living our life as a thank you letter to the God of the universe. Thanksgiving living, this should change the way we live. And think about it this week. We have a couple days off. Fill in the blank. Thanksgiving living makes me what? As a follower of Jesus Christ. We talked about protons a second ago. I'm not real smart, but I know that there are two types of physicists. You have theoretical physicists, which just kind of sit around and talk about theoretical things, obviously. Things that may or may not be true about matter in the universe and so forth and so on. Then you have applied physicists, where they actually take 
the science of physics and do stuff with it. Out of that comes engineering. Design buildings like this so that they don't fall. Chairs, we can make chairs, that's physics. All the things that we do that are practical. Unfortunately, we as followers of Jesus Christ often live our lives as followers of him in the theoretical space, right? Theoretical. We don't do much with it, unfortunately. I'm pointing fingers at myself. We should be living in the applied world, right? Where we do something. The attitude of our heart, that humility, should transfer into contentment, not just laying back and making sure everything's okay. It transfers into rebehavior, to doing something with our life that transfers into what we need to do more of to serve him, to love him, to love his body, to reach those who aren't followers of Jesus Christ yet. Thanksgiving living is applied. It's action. So the challenge to you and me this week is, what are we going to do about Thanksgiving living? Are we going to live it as a lifestyle? Or are we just going to eat a bunch of turkey and pumpkin pie this week and move on? What are we going to do about it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you loved us enough to send your son Jesus to die in our place, to give us wonderful things in our lives, to give us the only hope, period, in the universe. I pray that we would move forward this week and take action, that we would humble ourselves and understand what contentment means and that we would take action. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done this morning. Thank you for the fact that we can be together as the body of Christ of which you are the head. In your name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.